thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. You're listening to Wellness Women Radio with women's health experts, Dr. Ashley Bond, the pregnancy and birthing guru, and the queen of hormone imbalances, the period whisperer herself, Dr. Andrea Huddleston. They're raising the bar for women's health by bringing you the most up-to-date health and wellness information to live your best life. Now, onto the show. This episode of Wellness Women Radio is very proudly brought to you by Dinner Twist. Dr. Ashley and I want to let you in on a little secret of how we maintain our healthy whole foods lifestyle with very little time. And one of those ways is actually with Dinner Twist. So they plan, they shop, they deliver everything to our door to take all of the guesswork out of having really healthy meals for dinner each night. Um, I love Dinner Twist because they are a locally family-owned business here in Perth in Western Australia, and all of their produce is locally sourced and seasonal. So they are really invested in all of their suppliers as well, which is absolutely amazing. Everything is so fresh. Uh, Ashley and I both get the Wholesome Box, which is naturally gluten and dairy-free as well, and is very consistent with a paleo-type lifestyle as well. Uh, so it's, you know, completely consistent with, you know, the way that we want to eat and want to feed our loved ones too. This is also how I trick Dean into thinking that I can actually cook. So seriously, if I can do it, everybody can trust me. And their recipes are so delicious. They also have other options apart from the wholesome box. So they have a family box for bigger size families an express box. If you're really short on time, uh, as well as a vegan box too. Now, we would love to give you the opportunity for you to actually try Dinner Twist and realize how healthy, how delicious and how fresh it is, but also how much easier this is going to make life as well. So we have a special promo code for you, and that is going to give you $35 off your first box. And that is WWR for Wellness Women Radio. Um, So we would love you to uh, try for yourself. Don't take my word for it, but let me know what you think. Without further ado, ladies, onto the show. Hey there, beautiful listeners. Thank you so much for joining us on Wellness Radio. I'm Ashley. And I'm Andrea. Um, and, you know, welcome back. Thanks again for joining us. Um, I am super excited to be talking about this topic, obviously, because it's just about periods again. Um, and I wanted to call this topic, So You're Slowly Bleeding to Death. Um, everything you need to know about menorrhagia or very, very heavy periods, too heavy periods. Yeah, I think that's so funny because I was like, you can't say bleeding to death. And you're like, yes, you can. This is what women tell me all the time. Yeah. I'm like, oh, okay, yeah. fair call. That's the language of the woman who's literally feeling like she's bleeding to death each time that she cycles. And um, it's so interesting, isn't it, that we're in a world today where a lot of women have heavy, painful periods and don't even know that that's not normal. And so you still have these conversations and women are off getting um, uh, uh iron infusions because of their heavy cycles and then when you have a chat you're like that's you realize that's like heavier than heavy that's well outside normal parameters oh yeah i've just been told to have a heavy cycle and so i need to get iron infusions you know every quarter or every year or whatever they're doing it's just like right okay what about the conversation about the heavy period like (laughs) what are you doing for that 
Um, so yes, yeah, it's, it's great we're having this chat today. This is your jam, your favorite favorite topic of the whole wide world. I just love it. I always love watching you light up and get so like animated with this topic. And I think for women uh, listening, you know, you get a real feel that this is Andrea's special area of interest. This is her her you know her jam. This is where she guides women through you know incredible life changing uh, results because of her knowledge in this space. So I'm probably going to be pretty silent. <laughs> Oh, no, don't be silly. We're going to have a great combo about it. But I just just love when you you get on a roll and I'm just like, yeah, go, go, keep going, keep going. This is good. This is good. Um, So tonight, ladies, tune in. We're going to go into, you know, heavy periods. What is normal? What's abnormal? And if you have been diagnosed, then what can you do? You know, what can you expect? What are some of the things that you absolutely can do before you start changing your hormones with artificial or synthetic hormone replacements or the pill or implants or any other thing that's offered to you, you know, often um, IUDs, all sorts of things that uh, will be offered as a first-line approach as opposed to being a no-other-alternative approach. Yeah, yeah. And I love what you said, Ash, about some women don't actually know that they have horrifically heavy periods. Um, And just to quantify this a little bit. A normal menstrual bleed is about 60 mils. So, and if you're using a menstrual cup, um, some of them even have little um, measure sort of lines on the inside. So you can really understand that. Um, Or a regular tampon might have the absorption of five to 10 mils, just depending on the brand. But it will actually say on your um, pad or tampon box, what the amount of absorbed ability absorption, I guess, um, is on that particular product. So you can kind of, of quantify it in that way. Um, but a normal period is about 60 mils. Anything over 80 mils is considered menorrhagia. So this is that heavy bleed. Um, I hear stories all the time of women saying, I didn't realize how heavy my periods were because this is not something that we necessarily sit down with our girlfriends and go, you know, how often are you changing your tampons? or, you know, um, how how much blood are you losing per period, for example. This is certainly questions that we're asking our patients because we need to sort of get the insight around that. But it's not something unless you've actually seen a practitioner specifically who's digging into this that will you have any reference point for it. Um, and so women will come in and they might say, I, I know this week, um, I had a patient say to me that she normally uses a menstrual cup. She went away. She didn't have her cup with her and she went through, I think it was, you know, a 16 tampons in two days or, or something wow. um, like flooding through 16 tampons in two days. These are super tampons. And it was only then that she realized just how heavy her periods were. And this mm. woman has got a history of chronic anemia and all sorts of things, as you can understand, because she feels like she's slowly bleeding to death. And what we want to talk about in this episode is what are the reasons why this is happening and what are some things that you can do about it or you can, you know, what are the options that are available to you for this? Um, so menorrhagia can be something that can interfere with women, women's lives so dramatically because obviously they're going to be bleeding so heavily, it can make them exhausted, can predispose them to anemia and everything else associated with that. Not to mention it is a huge reason for absenteeism for women from either school or study or, you know, work as well. Um, Um, I can't tell you how many women who are perimenopausal where I see it happen, you know, a lot, um, will say to me that they, 
you know, if, even if they're sitting on the couch at home, they have to put towels down just because they're flooding so quickly and they can't leave the house for, you know, the period of time that they have their their cycle, which I just think is um, really interfering with their quality of life. I think that's really interesting you mentioned that age um, connection too because, you know, a lot of them will notice this in their teens when they're first starting to cycle. It can be really irregular. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, it can happen at any time, of course, and then usually in their sort of 40s this becomes relevant again. And even women who've been cycling normally for many years, you know, throughout their 30s, postpartum, all of a sudden, you know, sort of anywhere in their 40s starts to notice changes, um, starting to wonder whether it's just because you know, had a few babies, it's always going to be different. I see a lot of women discount mm. their period changes just because I've had a few kids, it's all stretched out in there. There must be a reason for all this extra bleeding. Like My uterus must be bigger, so yeah, therefore I must be like bleeding that. more. Yeah. yeah, so it's quite a common, um, common, I guess, way of excusing it until it becomes a problem that you can't ignore any further. Yeah, exactly. Um, so the most common causes of this menorrhagia that I see um, is a, particularly in this perimenopausal window, but it doesn't have to be then, it can be women of all ages, is fibroids. Um, and sometimes these can actually be palpable fibroids as well. They don't even need to be um, sort of confirmed via ultrasound, although some of them can be smaller, but particularly if the fibroids are bigger, there's going to be a lot more bleeding. If there's any polyp formation as well, the polyps in themselves can cause heavier bleeding. Um, the hormonal changes that cause both of those things are the same though, and we'll come back to that. Um, it can be changes like things like adenomyosis, endometriosis or any sort of structural changes to the uterine lining itself. Um, there's certain pharmaceuticals that can cause this as well, particularly like anti-inflammatories. How often are women taking anti-inflammatories during their period um, for, you know, essentially pain relief? And most period pain um, pharmaceuticals are non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs. Mm. And if they're taking any kind of anticoagulant type drugs as well, like things like aspirin, um, can also increase their risk of bleeding. In a very small portion of women, um, fish oils or omega-3 fatty acids can do this as well. Um, but uh, I think you'd be hard-pressed to take enough that would have such a significant impact, impact on your actual menstrual bleed. But if there are certain clotting disorders Disorders, um, or bleeding disorders, I guess that could increase the risk for sure. Um, if a woman has th um, any kind of thyroid condition, particularly Hashimoto's or hypothyroidism, um, that is absolutely a risk factor for menorrhagia. Um, if a woman is anemic as well, and this is just this cruel paradox that happens with the, the body that when you have low iron, when you are anemic, and then you are bleeding more because it's almost like, and you'll get heavier clots as well, because it's almost like the body is trying to increase the clotting factors to try and um, stoppage that flow, but it's just not quite getting there. So you might get heavier clots, but it's still you're still getting that heavy bleed as well. Um, if there's liver and kidney issues too, um, and also obesity is a really big thing um, that will affect the healing and return of that uterine lining back to its normal premenstrual state. So every time the a piece of the uterine lining sheds away with 
of with each menstrual cycle, there's a healing process that happens instantaneously as soon as we have that endometrial shedding. Now, in women who are carrying extra body weight or who fit into that kind of obese category, that healing process is actually delayed. So that bleeding goes on and on. Um, So these are some of the I guess, major risk factors that I see for menorrhagia. Um, For some women, if they have the copper IUD, um, that often increases bleeding by about 25%. Um, It often uh, calms down and, um, you know, settles in within sort of six months of the woman having the the copper IUD. But a lot of the time that can certainly increase um, menstrual bleeding. So women who do have heavy periods, I don't think the copper IUD is necessarily something that's going to be good for them. And there can be other things as well, like, um, you know, if they've got pelvic inflammatory, um, you know, issues, and there are other um, more nasty things that can cause this really, really heavy bleeding, like certain types of um, cervical and uterine cancers and those sorts of things, but it's much rarer too. Um, I think a common thread that you've highlighted there across a lot of the different, um, I guess, conditions or diagnoses is this high estrogen exactly. uh, aspect, you know, and so, you know, understanding high estrogen in all its forms, even uh, related to diet lifestyle and the things that can cause high estrogen is really important, um, which is, you know, often you'll hear the term estrogen dominance and it's been thrown around a lot. And really just that basically means that the estrogen progesterone balances out of whack. Um, and of course, you've got to be more predisposed to any of these estrogen loaded conditions. And I think for me, whenever someone talks about heavy pillars, the first thing I'm thinking about is that dietary lifestyle component, you know, the exposure to anything that's creating that artificial, you know, estrogen excess, um, any underlying conditions that could be contributing to that high estrogen. So it's such a, um, it's such an interesting one to see. It doesn't matter the age and stage, it's often a common thread. Um, so therefore the solutions are often very similar and you think, but hang on, how does that work when I'm 40 versus when I'm, you know, 18 or 19? Um, but yes. there is a, there is a similarity there. And if you think about it, um, estrogen is this proliferative hormone. So it means that it, it makes things grow. It's meant to. Estrogen is what um, develops the uterine lining. So when you have heavy periods, typically there's a thicker endometrium that actually has to shed away during that menstrual cycle. And often mm. the most common hormonal imbalance we see, to be honest, is that estrogen excess relative to low progesterone. And it's the progesterone that's stabilizing the uterine lining So when we don't have enough of that, we're getting this constant bleeding. And that is also the first hormonal shift that actually happens during that perimenopausal change as well. Um, You know, during puberty, um, women can have lots of anovulatory cycles, so they're not ovulating, so therefore they're not making progesterone. So you know, there can be that similar kind of picture as well um, where they're getting much heavier bleeding until their system sort of gets into this regular cycle of ovulation and everything else along the way. Um, I've totally digressed there, puberty, ovulation. Where are we up to, Ash? Um, we were talking about estrogen excess relative to low progesterone. <laughs> um, that is, and you're absolutely right because that is, it is estrogen excess that's growing those fibroids, that's developing the polyps, that's, you know, can be affecting the thyroid function, that can be contributing to those things. We know that um, when we're holding more body weight or adipose tissue, a lot of the time that's its own endocrine-producing organ 
and producing more toxic versions of estrogen as well. Um, it doesn't mean that estrogen is the bad guy, but it's how your body metabolizes and clears it, but also balances it with progesterone. That is the key there, um, which is also kind of a key to how we address these things in the first place. Um, to assess whether or not you do have menorrhagia um, or, you know, whether or not your periods are too heavy, I would definitely be doing a bit of a stock take of um, or a check of how often are you needing to change your pad or tampon or menstrual cup or whatever it might be during your cycle. Are you losing more than 80 mils? Um, are you needing to get up in the middle of the night to change your menstrual um, products? Um, are you passing big clots as well? Or are you bleeding for longer than a week? So I'd be taking stock of that. Um, and then the test that I would suggest doing to kind of assess it after that, it could be really worthwhile having um, a pelvic ultrasound, which may or may not include a transvaginal ultrasound to assess for the presence of, um, you know, your fibroids or your polyps. That can also be a really um, great clue to whether or not a woman has adenomyosis, which we've covered before in, in multiple episodes. So go back and have a listen to that. Or it could be showing signs of endometriosis as well that can come up in that transvaginal ultrasound. I would certainly recommend um, having a really good panel of bloods done. Um, and if there are any question marks around if there's maybe some sort of genetic issue with clotting factors or bleeding um, issues, definitely looking at those. Obviously, checking your hormones, checking your hormonal balance, um, checking to see if you do have a thyroid condition and looking at obviously your liver and kidney markers as well. Um, and while you're at it, I just think looking at your inflammatory markers is, would be helpful, not to mention a thorough iron study. Yeah. Yep. Um, to assess whether or not you are, you know, anemic because of this. Love it. So that's been your test. Now let's give the strategies. What are the things women can do to lighten their periods? Because I, I mean, my first go-to for everyone is always a dairy-free uh, yes. diet change. You know, I'm yes. a big proponent of that because over the years I've read lots of different studies referring to, you know, the issues regarding dairy. Look, I think it's hard because people say, even I'm not dairy intolerant, I'm not sensitive to dairy, I've never had a problem with it. Um, the reality is one in three are generally showing some degree of sensitivity to dairy. Um, and it's not all dairy, but the key that causes most problems for most women is um, something called a protein called A1 casein. And so most conventional uh, cow's milk dairy will have this in it. And that is the thing that tends to activate some of the inflammatory pathways that are related to, oh, dive deep, but mast cell activation. I know we've done an episode on this, uh, feels like a million years ago, but quite some time ago. But that's the pathway that's involved. So in the short story, dairy contributes to increased inflammation through mast cell activation, which contributes to, um, you know, heavy periods. So, for me, and that's through, you know, an increase in estrogen because um, it promotes the ovaries to uh, produce more estrogen. So it's, you know, just to understand that pathway, then not to mention the fact that most conventional dairy is loaded with potentially antibiotics, excess estrogen enhancers yes. to help that, you know, cow produce more milk. So 
whilst I'd love to think that doesn't happen in Australia, as far as I'm aware, I think it does. You know, I think most uh, people will tell you that they sure they test for conventional dairy to make sure it's not pathogenic, but I'm not sure they're doing the hormone testing that uh, would indicate that it's safe for us. So cut out dairy. And I think a lot of them will find within the first month they've already had a substantial change. And I think that's fascinating. So um, if it's, you know, one of the simplest things you can do, even though I know it sounds like it's hard, I always just start there. That's like my just go-to. Go dairy-free for months, see what happens. And I know that there's this really big movement um, where people are trying to move away from, um, you know, vilifying certain types of, of food products or food groups. And that's certainly not what we're doing, but it's worth trying this because there is really compelling and I can also absolutely say there's anecdotal evidence in my patients as well um, that when they make these changes they do get those results and it can be worthwhile trying that for you now because of how your hormones work it might have to be that you actually remove it for three months yeah generally speaking you'd have to check it through a couple of cycles it's not going to miraculously change everything in one go but uh, I know for some women because of the significant immune impact it has they're already feeling better yes yeah absolutely um and if this is having a positive impact on your symptoms then it's not about vilifying that dairy is the problem it's just this is what's working for you yeah yeah Um, i just means your body has uh, certain pathways it can't handle that casein protein so (laughs) unfortunately it's just like okay this is just genetic so you know it's not saying good or bad it's just saying my body doesn't tolerate this well exactly exactly Mm. um so the dietary changes i think is always always paramount to what we're looking at and to help to improve the ratios of estrogen to progesterone we're always looking at increasing vitamin c containing foods really increasing your fiber making sure you're consuming clean protein and really good healthy fats um fiber is always king because it's helping that you know phase one and phase two metabolism of estrogen through the liver um it's helping to promote you know obviously better gut health which is helping that final phase three of estrogen metabolism in the gut um all of your cruciferous vegetables as well um it's obviously going to have that estrogen metabolizing effect so you know that's fantastic um and gluten is obviously something that we normally suggest as a positive hormonal um you know nutrition change because of its impact on helping to regulate estrogen as well um so there is certainly research that shows that gluten increases the bad estrogen or the estrogen that we that's often in excess relative to progesterone um so helping to just decrease that inflammation in our system as well i think is just a good idea uh, so those are the dietary changes. Obviously, the alcohol is a really big deal um, if you have heavy bleeds because it's not only disrupting liver function, which will then affect your clotting factors, but um, it's also promoting um, all of the estrogen excess that we see all the time as well. So unfortunately for women, alcohol just does not suit us um small little bits and on special occasions is kind of what i is the really the only thing that i recommend to my patients um, but definitely not um regular intake that's for sure and certainly not binge drinking um but you know that's that's all i'll say on that for now <laughs> 
Um, so and the dietary changes. Because oh, for dietary changes, um, you know, what to add in, you mentioned how low iron can also cause uh, oh. heavier periods. What iron should women be looking for? Because obviously, you know, a lot of women are vegetarian or vegan. Yeah. They're choosing not to consume um, heme-based animal products. So animal products is a heme-based um iron that is very readily absorbed by the body. I know that a lot of women are taking in Australia here products like Maltifa, um, Ferrograd C, then they're still not finding any improvements. Yeah. What do you generally recommend? Uh, okay, so certainly um, increasing all food-based sources of iron if possible. Um, if you're eating animal protein, this is obviously your heme iron found in red meat, um, things like slow cooking, stewing it, um, liver if you can as well, um, making sure that you can actually break that down in the first place. So, um, you know, if you do have this history of low iron and it's not just from your heavy periods, are there other reasons why it's happening? So looking at stomach acid production, making sure you don't have health helicobacter, eliminating, um, you know, whether or not there's um, parasitic infection that can be contributing to your um, iron deficiency anemia or is there, um, you know, obviously a gluten intolerance that is also inhibiting that too. Um, we've done, you know, feel free to go back through the archives into listening about to the episodes about iron deficiency anemia because we've covered this a couple of times about all the causes and the, obviously the fixes. Um, the slow cooking and stewing just helps to almost partially digest it for you in the first place uh okay so that is the food based sources obviously your leafy greens and everything else you're going to be getting your non-heme based sources of iron um a really old amish midwife technique is to use blackstrap molasses with uh orange juice and egg yolks Mm-hmm. And they would give that to women postpartum. Um, blackstrap molasses is certainly a very rich source of non-heme iron. Mm. Um, so I, we encourage that um, at certain times for women too. My regularly cook on an iron skillet is another trick, yes. you know. Um, yes. Is there the iron fish that you can drop in uh, into your pots as well? There's lucky iron fish, I think it's called. It's oh, like this. Oh, yeah, the lucky, lucky fish. It's, um, yes, yeah, look it up. I'm sure you'll see it. This is like, this is just like a little iron fish that you drop into your pots when you're cooking and things like that. Ah, there you go. Mm. Um, my favorite type of iron that I use in practice, there's a couple of different forms, but it's normally iron um, bisglycinate, mm-hmm. uh, which I find, or, or iron glycinate, I find is the most um, well-absorbed, readily available, um, has the least amount of, uh, you know, gastrointestinal um, disturbances um, and can be taken at a dose where you don't get that um, hepcidin sort of reaction where it sort of rejects that and you don't get to that um, point of um, sort of the tolerance at that gut level. So that's the form that I use in practice a lot. Um, Now, that is the iron supplementation, things you can take. Um, Other things to obviously help to um, decrease that. I love using Chinese herbs for this and I find them really, really effective. And these are normally combinations with things like cinnamon, um, peony. um, It can be uh, what other things, red sage. Those sorts of things can help to act almost like a and tonic um, to help with the heavy menstruation. Um, from a pharmaceutical perspective, the first go-to that's normally recommended is something called tranexamic acid. Um, and if you do have heavy periods, I'm sure that you are familiar with this already. And the action of that is it actually 
promotes clot stability. Um, there's question marks about whether or not it reduces inflammation, um, but it inhibits the action of certain um, uh, uh, certain fibrinous changes so that it doesn't allow for super heavy bleeding. Um, the transamic acid is, and I'm trying to do a big deep dive into this to see if there's other more natural versions of this that we can use, but it's a synthetic lysine analog. So I have been trying to pull up the research to see if using lysine or the components of it would have a similar effect. I haven't found anything yet, but I'm going to keep looking. <laughs> um, I do have concerns about the use of transamic acid, um, especially long term um and you know there, there's certainly question marks about whether or not it, it's you know totally safe and it can increase risk factors for certain women um this is definitely something to consult with your um you know your health provider about if you are taking it, whether or not it's appropriate for you um and remember it's not fixing the cause of the heavy bleeding in the first place it is literally the this is the pharmaceutical to treat the symptoms. Um, so why is this happening in the first place, and what can you actually do about it? Um, so um, obviously, the other pharmaceuticals that are often recommended is um, you know oral contraceptives. Same thing. It's not actually addressing that root cause, unfortunately. Um, and for some women, it's effective, but not always. And often when they stop it, you know, um, the same symptoms return and there are other symptoms to deal with along the way there. So in terms of um, treatment strategies, we've talked about food changes, um, things to include, things to exclude, uh, iron supplementation, um, you know, maybe some Chinese herbs that, that are also helpful, the pharmaceutical options that are available. And obviously, if there are things like, um, you know, adenomyosis, if there's fibroids or polyps, then there may be some sort of surgical intervention that may be required. Um, when women are perimenopausal or they've finished having children, um, often an endometrial ablation will be what's recommended for them when they do have that menorrhagia. Um, however, there's obviously risks and benefits to this surgical treatment. Um, they absolutely won't do it unless, um, you know, you finish having children because of the permanent changes to the uterine lining from there. Um, and also it's not a very good option if you do have adenomyosis because that adenomyosis is obviously affecting the myomectomy, so the, the, the muscular walls of the actual uterus itself. And then if you're going to um, essentially um, make permanent changes to the uterine lining, it's like trapping everything behind that surface. So sometimes that can actually increase women's pain with that added inflammation. So that needs to be addressed as well. Um there's lots of other surgical options as well, but hopefully women women won't um, sort of get to that point. Um, we've definitely covered the fibroids um, yeah. in their entirety in other episodes too and um, sort of alternatives to that. And just a quick one because I know that um, often clients will say that they've been prescribed progesterone. Mm -hmm. um, how do you find that to be responsive in terms of the frequency that it helps improve the problem because, um, you know, it's not just the fact that it can change the periods. It can also help people with their mood, emotion. You know, there's a lot of other far-reaching benefits. Um, I guess the challenge is, is that, you know, uh, gold standard of care? What, what do you find? 
Um, that is such a good question and it absolutely depends on the woman and it depends on the form of progesterone. So most of the time women are being prescribed progestins, not progesterone, which we know is more chemically similar to testosterone. And it's actually, um, now we're actually starting to understand that progestins actually are very similar to almost like anabolic steroids in their chemical formation, which explains so much as to why certain women who are taking, say, the mini pill or other types of progestins do get hair growth, acne, um, lots of emotional changes, hair loss from the head and all sorts of other things. It can also increase their risk of um, uh, ovarian um, cysts as well. In some women up to 25% um, they will have those. So um, I don't like using progestins for this instance, the Marina IUD is a very common treatment um, and often a first-line treatment for women who do have really heavy bleeding. And that in itself sometimes can be quite effective if they can tolerate it. Um, now, for women being prescribed progesterone, so it might be a micronized version of progesterone from something like Prometrium, that always depends on the woman and whether or not she can tolerate that with or without a little bit of estrogen. So what tends to happen in women who are perimenopausal, they get um, prescribed prometrium and something called estradiol, which is essentially the estrogen patch as well. Um, and for some women that can be enough to stabilize things or they'll still get a, a menstrual cycle. Um, I am certainly a fan of bioidentical or micronized progesterone in the instances where, again, it's appropriate for those women who can tolerate it. Some women will bleed constantly on it. It just depends how their system responds and reacts. Um, so it, it's never what I would consider to be my first line of treatment. Does that help, Ash? I think that's brilliant. And look, I think, you know, the key um, to all of this is to explore things that work best for you. You know, mm -hmm. the lifestyle changes, the dietary changes, the supplementation, these are all things to do in consultation with your preferred healthcare providers, whether it be, you know, naturopath, dietitian, an amazing chiropractor like you, Andrea, you know, your doctor, anyone who's on your team, um, have these conversations, have these discussions about the various different pathways. Um, you know, it falls into our standard assessment of any decision you make in your life in that you know beautiful brain acronym which is you know b-r-a-i-n benefits risks alternatives uh what's your intuition what's your inner guidance about this and what if you did nothing you know and i think it's a really great thing to always go through that little acronym and you know assess each option with that in mind so that you can then decide what's best for you um, because we don't have all the answers <laughs> no one has all the answers and each woman is different and that's that whole idea of we're all bio unique we're all individual we respond differently but there are certainly some categoric commonalities you know that lifestyle choices that are going to improve just about every woman uh, i think that's really exciting and hopefully that's given you some hope today um, that's something that i always you know hope when we record and we we share this message is that not all doom and gloom that we do give you those opportunities to explore more information you may not have been aware of things that might just pique your interest so you know as always thank you so much for listening because um yeah it brings us a great deal of joy to know that we can impact women's lives uh, wherever you are in the world with these little bits of information that we spend so much time and uh, i guess effort insight education into trying to i guess share disseminate and make it simpler for you so if we have made it simple and it's been valuable to you please let us know um 
share it with friends if they you know if this is a topic that's relevant to them please make sure you share this with women in your life it's important to them so that they learn more and understand better and of course as always we're really grateful for the reviews we've had some beautiful little five-star reviews lately so thank you so much it's uh, it means a lot to us because yeah we do this for love <laughs> Uh, yeah, totally. And we haven't really done that in a while. Actually, have we? Like, you know, please uh, make sure you're following us on all of the social media platforms. Make sure that you've subscribed to us on iTunes um, or Spotify, whatever medium it is that you're using to listen to this. Um, and we absolutely love your five-star reviews. So thank you so much for those always. If there is a particular health topic in mind that you would love us to cover, please feel free to email us at info at thewellnesswomen.com.au. Um, we would love to hear from you. Um, and, uh, okay. So that is the episode about the women who feel like they're slowly bleeding to death. And hopefully that's given them some real insight into some tools that they can use to address that or why it might be happening in the first place. Um, so we are the wellness women. You've been listening to wellness women radio. We are the wellness women, Dr. Ashley Bond and Dr. Andrea Huddleston. We are raising the bar for women's health and until next week, be well. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.